find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Hi, welcome to New Reflections. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein. We've got a great show today. Today we're going to be talking about rhinoplasty. The show is called Nose News is Good News, and we'll see if we can give you some good news about rhinoplasty. Today we're going to be talking about rhinoplasty, which is commonly called a nose job, uh, nose surgery, nose reshaping, basically changing the shape of the nose to something that looks a little bit more appealing, and we're going to talk about ways that that's done. We're going to speak about... uh, different options, different approaches. We're going to talk about what the recovery is like and then get into some interesting stuff like what about celebrities that have had it done? Might even get to talk about Michael Jackson and what went wrong with that. But let's get started talking about rhinoplasty. Rhinoplasty was, it's got a long, long history. I mean, surgery of the nose started as early as 800 BC. And in in fact, uh, around 500 BC, there's the first documented text on surgery of the nose, the first documentation of anybody doing a nose reconstruction, and that was a doctor by the name of Dr. Sushruta, and that was in India. Then cosmetic rhinoplasty or aesthetic rhinoplasty started around the late 1800s, right before the uh, beginning of the 20th century, the first one was done, and it's really grown a lot over the years. Rhinoplasty is the second most popular cosmetic procedure done in the United States in the year 2010. There's over 250,000 rhinoplasties done, and that's just the statistics from the American Society for Plastic Surgeons. That doesn't include our colleagues who are facial plastic surgeons. So, you know, there may be as many as over half a million of these done in every year in the United States. It is the most common surgery for women between the ages of 22 and 34. Now, we do see men for rhinoplasty. In fact, according to the American Society for Plastic Surgeons, 25% of all rhinoplasties done in the year 2010 were done on men. Now, you'll also see some things in the news talking about non-surgical rhinoplasty or liquid nose jobs, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. We're going to say a couple words about that before we get in with our first guest. You've got to be careful. This is something that's become very popular, but be careful. It, the history of liquid rhinoplasty or injections to make the nose look different has not been great. Uh, the original injections that were done were done with paraffin, and paraffin is basically wax, 
And that didn't do so well after time. Your body didn't respond very well to it. And then silicone was used, and that had similar problems, whether it was silicone and liquid silicone injections or uh, sticking a big block of, of silicone in there. Now, there are silicone implants that can be used today that are a little bit better. We may get into that a little bit later. And then there's stuff called hydrogel which is a, a particular kind of gel that can be injected. They use it in lots of different places, in the breast and the butt, and, and it has been used in the face, not with such great results. So be careful about the non-surgical options. There are some that work well, and, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. And, of course, there's surgery, and, and that's probably the most common, most effective way to change the shape of your nose. Now, let's get into talking about that. And I'm going to introduce my first guest. We have with us Dr. Leo McCafferty. Dr. McCafferty is a board-certified plastic surgeon. He's certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. He's also the vice president of the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. Dr. McCafferty, welcome to the show. Having me. Happy to be here. Uh, well, well, we're very happy to have you. Uh, I wanted to get into this, and we're kind of just beginning to talk about having this nose surgery, rhinoplasty. When when you see patients in the office, I'm sure that there's a trend. What are the typical things that people come wishing they could make better? Well, you know, uh, in general, uh, people want their nose made smaller. Uh, it's just as simple as that. Most most come in with a, a nose they feel it's too big, with a, a bump on their nose. They tell me when they look in the mirror or look in the three-way mirror and they see their profile they don't like a bump far and away that's the most uh, uh the most common uh, complaint and that's both from men and women yeah i think that's what i see in the office and and what we're talking about is uh, among plastic surgeons we would call that a reduction rhinoplasty where we're reducing the size of the nose and that that bump or what we would call a dorsal hump well it doesn't sound very good does it dorsal hump I always feel funny talking to a patient about that. But, yeah, dorsal, dorsal hump is what we call it, and that's the bump that people talk about on the nose. Or Sometimes people say, well, I've got a crooked nose. But what they really mean is they've got a bump sticking out on the top of their nose. And that is, I think, the most common thing that I see, too. What about noses that need to have something added? Well, I think that, that gets a little uh, trickier, and uh, a lot of times patients don't, actually know what it is they they uh, they dislike about their nose but uh, uh they come in and they 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 see a depression in one part or another they see a tip that might be a little bit uh, the tip of the nose the end of the nose that is it might be a little bit large and it gets a little tricky i i don't get many patients that actually come in and and say doctor add something to my nose uh, indeed, that may ultimately uh, be what they need, but I think still that's a minority uh, of patients, at least that I see. Yeah, I think I think that's true, and most people are looking to make things a little smaller, and whether it's making the tip a little bit thinner and more refined, uh, or uh, like we're talking about taking that bump and smoothing it out, uh, what what is the typical patient that comes to see you? What, what's their profile? You see more men than women, women than men, age ranges. Who do you see in the office? Well, we see more more women than men, and I think there's another group uh, of patients that that uh, that we see a lot of here, and and that's the uh, patient that the young patients that have had always had a nose that they really didn't like, but through sports and whether girls with basketball very common, uh, guys with soccer, uh, football, uh, they they have some sort of injury to their nose which aggravates an underlying problem. So. We see a lot of, of those patients, but in general, patients come in and they want their nose 
made to look a little better. I think there's also an underlying fear, especially uh, if younger patients come in with parents, there's an underlying fear of that that cookie-cutter nose, that, that small little turned-up nose that was popular in the 70s. Uh, yeah, you know, that, that's something we do. We do see that, too. In fact, sometimes a, a certain doctor's name is attached to it. You know, if the doctor in town years ago that was making, you know, the, doing that, that surgery where perhaps there wasn't as much versatility in technique or, or the aesthetic was to always make the nose look kind of small and button or, or, or very similar, sometimes patients come in and say, oh, I want to have one of those Dr. Smith or Dr. Jones noses. Right, and, and, and that is a fear. Uh, and so there is, there is uh, naturally today, uh, as with all plastic surgery, the key is to make people look better without making them look operated upon. And that is, uh, uh, and that's really what most patients want. You know, they come in wanting their nose made better, but they don't want to look like they've had that, that nose job that you, you mentioned at the beginning of the show. Yeah, you know, uh, that, that's a very important point, and actually it also speaks to really understanding what the patient's looking for. And I think the important thing is that you have a really extensive discussion with the patient. Anyone listening, if you're going to go in and, and maybe consider having nose surgery, make sure you spend time. See a few surgeons. Make sure you're seeing people who are properly board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery or the American Board of Facial Plastic Surgery, someone who knows what they're doing when it comes to the nose, no pun intended and uh, have lots of discussions and try and really understand what you're looking for because it makes, it makes it difficult when we can't, when a surgeon doesn't really understand exactly what a patient's looking for, we can certainly make something that we think looks right, that looks aesthetically pleasing, but the important thing is you, you get what you're looking for and that, that only comes with good communication. So it's important to talk about what you don't like and what you're looking for. Now, uh, talking about age of patients, you mentioned a lot of young kids coming in with their parents a little earlier. What is the age range? When, when do you think is the right time or the, the the minimum age that you would consider in your practice? Well, I think it has to do with uh, growth. And often if a patient is fairly young, you know, in their uh, mid uh, to late teens, uh, I will uh, uh, check with their pediatrician to make sure the pediatrician feels that their growth is uh, uh, is complete, um, you know, and that, that, that differs from patient to patient. Um, and certainly uh, women in general uh, uh, are more, their growth is complete, you know, by 16, 17, 18 um, boys, sometimes a little later. So I think it, and everyone is different, as I mentioned. So I think uh, in that young age group, uh, we, we really have to work with the pediatrician to, Make sure uh, that, um, according to the pediatrician's growth charts, they've uh, they've finished that second growth spurt and they're ready. Uh, they're ready for surgery. Yeah, and that, that's an important thing. Also, of course, you got to get the consent from the parents. So the parents are always an integral part of their uh, of the process. So they can understand what's going on and they can give proper consent because any anyone under the age of eighteen, of course, cannot give their own consent. Uh, so you and don't have a and, and frequently too, um, you'll get that that occasional teenager that thinks uh, they're that you know uh, a fifteen, fourteen, fifteen year old uh, male or female that are dro- they're pushing their parents. They think that changing their nose is all of a sudden going to give them acceptance into the into their uh, into the quote unquote in group in college uh, or in high school. And and you really have to be careful and 
not let the parents uh, drive the uh, drive the situation because, as you know, uh, you know, changing the nose does only that change the nose. It's not going to change their life. Uh, it, it will make them feel better about themselves. It will give them a little more self esteem, but it's it's not going to solve every single uh, problem that uh, that's out there during those uh, very difficult teenage years. So there's a no, little bit of psychology yeah. involved. There's no question about that. And I think like any other procedure, you've got to make sure that we have the right motivations. And that that's part of that communication in the beginning, to make sure that you know what you're getting into and what you're going to get out of it. And that, that you have realistic expectations. And that's an important role that the surgeon has in making sure they understand why you're really having this done and what are you hoping for? And I think it's fair to say, though, that uh, you know a young 16, 17-year-old, whether it's a boy or a girl, that comes in that has a, a significant bump on their nose or something that's really disproportionate for their face, you can make a great impact in their social confidence in, in their life by changing the nose. And another thing, we were talking earlier about making things look normal, making it look natural. Uh, I think when it comes to nose surgery, rhinoplasty, that is one of the operations where truly less is more. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I, you know, you, you couldn't have said it better. Um, I was fortunate enough to train with Dr. Millard and one, uh, down in my, there in Miami. He recently passed away. God rest, bless his soul. But he, um, he had a saying that said, you know, in the past, rhinoplasty was all take and no give, uh, and that's true. I mean, less is certainly more with uh, with uh, the rhinoplasty of, of today. And, you know, you can always go back and take a little more, but once it's gone, it's gone. So uh, it is, it is, uh, it is a, a very, in my approach to rhinoplasty, and I think most people's approach uh, is, is one of, being very conservative. And the other great Millard quote uh, was, um, you know, that uh, when you're trying to figure out what it is patients don't like about their nose, um, you know, that's key. It's key to diagnose, but sometimes what they're saying isn't what they really mean. So there's a lot that goes into uh, the initial evaluation and making sure that you, uh, uh, you diagnose the problem understand what the patient really wants, and, uh, and then proceed and proceed conservatively. Yeah, and, I, and I, again, communication is the key. You know, I, I too, spent some time with Dr. Millard, and, and uh, I think he is to be heralded as one of the, the kings of plastic surgery and, and, and specifically rhinoplasty. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about rhinoplasty with uh, Dr. Leo McCafferty here on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. 
you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Corrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Corrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to New Reflections. We're talking with Dr. Leo McCafferty, and we're talking about rhinoplasty, nose surgery. Now, we just spent some time talking about how you're choosing, what are you thinking about, what's the preparation for it, and and who's a good candidate. Let's talk about the surgery. Dr. McCafferty, how long does it take you to do an average rhinoplasty? Well, it takes anywhere from one to two hours, with the average being about an hour and a half. Okay, and I probably I probably agree with that. Uh, and, and there's really, while the techniques may vary wildly, the amount of time it takes really doesn't vary that much, even in the more complex cases, I would say. And and so it's a pretty short-term operation. It seems like the, the patient experience, in my experience, has been pretty pretty positive, pretty simple to go through. Uh, what's the average recovery, do you think? What do you tell patients they should expect? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know... The, they, do, they do quite well, you know, and there's really no pain or very little pain involved. I tell them, at least my patients, they will have a little bit of packing in each nostril for anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. Uh, when that comes out, uh, they, that's sort of a relief. They can breathe easier. Uh, again, there's not much discomfort. When that packing is in, it's kind of an annoyance, and uh, once that comes out, they feel a lot more comfortable. We take the little splint off the nose, uh, usually it's somewhere between day six and eight, again, average seven days. And when the splint comes off, we tell them that they, for five additional weeks, they have to be very careful about keeping their uh, nose out of 
harm's way. Now, sometimes if you have a professional athlete, that's a little bit difficult, but um, but in <laughs> yeah. general... Well, and you actually, you actually have that experience. I understand that you're the, the plastic surgeon that consults for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right, right, yeah. So, but but even in, in in some of the young athletes, college athletes, and so on, you can you can we work with people that can make protective masks. But in general, five weeks after that splint comes off, I like the patients to you know just take care and make sure they're not their their nose isn't. It's not a good time to water ski, not a good time to snow ski, <laughs> uh, and, and that sort of thing. But after that. Um, after that, their nose is just about as, as uh, strong as it's ever been. Uh, I should mention, too, that usually about a week after the procedure, when that splint comes off, um, the women may still have a little bit of bruising underneath each eye, which can be easily covered with makeup. Men, in, in, in a sense, so they may have a small amount of bruising there, but usually a week after the procedure, most people can be out and about doing normal things and really not not look uh, not look uh, unsightly. They won't feel uh, self conscious in general. I think that's true. I think between one and two weeks, it's really a, a pretty a pretty simple procedure to recover from. And I think people do look good within one or two weeks after surgery. Generally speaking, now you didn't mention taking stitches out. So, you're, are you doing most of your surgery through the endonasal or closed approach? Yes, I do. I would say about 90% of the uh, rhinoplasties I do is uh, uh, inside the nose. The only time I would have external stitches uh, would be if, 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 the, if at the base of each nostril, if, I'm, if I need to bring those nostrils in to, to correct the flare. And the, in those cases, usually the sutures are out anywhere from five to six days. So again, most all of the all of the uh, stitches, the splints, the pack, everything is, is completed within a week, typically. Well, that's pretty quick. Now, I should mention, and when we, we introduce our next guest to see if we have any contrasting, but I can say that I do probably, uh, probably about two-thirds of my uh, rhinoplasties through open approach and about one-third through closed. It depends upon how much, in my practice, how much tip work that I'm going to do. If we're changing the tip a lot, I prefer to do it open so I can really see the way things lie naturally. And, and I should say, it doesn't really matter how your surgeon does it, whether it's done closed or it's done open. It, it, what matters is their comfort level and their skill in, in getting you the result that you're looking for. So don't get hung up. If you're thinking about having a nose surgery, don't get hung up on seeking someone who only does it one way or only does it another. It, it really is up to the surgeon to provide the best result possible, and he or she will do that with the techniques that they are most comfortable with. What about cost? What is the average cost uh, in Pittsburgh in your practice to have a rhinoplasty? Well, it does vary a little bit depending on the complexity, the length of time, but it, it, for everything, which does include the surgeon's fee, the, the fee for the uh, operating room, and the fee for the anesthesia person, it's usually anywhere from five to 10000 I would say on average anywhere about seven to 8000 8, uh, for the procedure. And if I may just say, say you hit on something very important, Adam. If I if I may just say, I, I think that uh, your your listeners out there should be aware of of uh, of the market of 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 the marketing gimmicks that that are pervasive uh, throughout the country in terms of uh, the types of rhinoplasties. Really, it 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 behooves.
behooves each and every potential patient to research their physician, make sure they're board certified, preferably by the American Board of uh, uh, Plastic Surgery. And uh, and it's more important, uh, uh, it's, it, the, the exact mechanism or the exact way that the rhinoplasty is done is, is less important, in my opinion, uh, than the, the person doing it. Yeah, I think I think that is an excellent point. Again, I always encourage everyone, whether even someone that comes to see me for consultation, I often will say, "Listen, you know, you should see two or three of us. Get a sense for style and a sense for the results that you see that that surgeon can produce, and your comfort level." And of course, you assume that you're going to a properly trained, board certified surgeon. Now, speaking of properly trained, I want to introduce our next guest, who not only, of course, is properly trained, but is responsible for continuing the training of lots of other young surgeons and has lectured around the world. I'll introduce Dr. Mark Codner, who's a board-certified plastic surgeon by the American Board of Plastic Surgery, and he's also on the board of the American Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons. Dr. Codner, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Rubenstein. It's a pleasure to be here. Good afternoon, and uh, hello to you, Dr. McCafferty. Great to hear from you, Mark. Good to have you both on the show. Now, Dr. Codner, we were just speaking with Dr. McCafferty about his experience with rhinoplasty, and we were talking about uh, a number of things. And Give me your philosophy on rhinoplasty. We started out with Dr. McCafferty talking about uh, the approach to the average patient. Give us a quick synopsis in your practice. What's your philosophy when you see patients coming in for rhinoplasty? Well, let's first talk about global philosophy of rhinoplasty, and then we'll bring it to the, my personal philosophy with respect to the individual patient. So globally, the things that we need to think about as physicians and the patients out there who are listening need to think about is all rhinoplasties are not created equal. Uh, rhinoplasty should really be an individualized, artistic approach to the individual, and there are a number of different groups of individuals that often seek rhinoplasty. Uh, whether they're men or women, so gender uh, plays an important part, um, as well as age. You mentioned, you know, how young is, is too young, also how old is, is too old. And many of these patients that seek rhinoplasty also, the older patients may also be coming in for a facelift, and there are some differences in philosophy there because a facelift should make someone look natural, perhaps the way they looked 10, 15, 20 years ago, However, a rhinoplasty is going to make them look different. That's, that's a very good no, point. You know, that's a, that way. So that, that's a, that is a, a segment of the population that we do see. And there's, a, there's a large number of, well, it's not a large, but a significant percentage of people that come for facelifts and just facial rejuvenation in general. And part of that process is a little bit of nose reshaping, but I would agree. I think, you know, my whole philosophy, again, as we stated earlier, is really less is more. But that's particularly true for the reasons that you're mentioning, Dr. Codner, in the older patient, because you really don't want to make significant changes that are going to truly alter their appearance in a, in a large way. I think just refreshing things and making them look subtly better and more attractive is the way to go with the older patients. Yes, the other uh, so, subgroups are, uh, say, Asian patients, Middle Eastern patients. We would approach those patients very differently, and we can maybe speak to particularly the emerging uh, Asian population and then differences in ethnicity and race uh, influence. We, we don't do the same rhinoplasty on all of these subgroups. We really have to individualize, listen to these particular patients, and their desires are going to be, be very different. And then the last group is the professional, say the, the male or female model, uh, the cheerleader that comes in. 
the attention to detail in that particular group also, I think, is a, is a, is a different population where the philosophy has to be individualized. Well, I think in those groups particularly, the expectations are very important to discuss and making sure that they have realistic understandings. In my practice, it's the, the younger actress, actor, model types that have the most potential to have misguided conceptions of what they're going to get out of the operation. That's where you have to be very careful, you have to be very conservative, and you really have to listen to the patient. And although often the patient believes and with with good intent that they know what they want and what's best for them, it's so important to review their professional photographs as as well as review photographs of, say, other models or other individuals that they they like their nose. I would encourage all patients to bring in, uh, you know, five or six different photographs of themselves that, uh, that demonstrates what they like, what they don't like, as well as um, noses from professional magazines just to be able to talk and, and really focus on the shape. Because this is one of the most artistic uh, procedures that I believe we do in plastic surgery. Well, I agree. And not only the most artistic, but I believe the most challenging because the healing process is so unpredictable that what you see when you're done in, in the operating room on the table is frequently not where you end up six months to a year later. We're going to take a, a short break, uh, do a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we'll be back with Drs. Codner and Dr. McCafferty talking about rhinoplasty. Join us in just a few minutes on New Reflections. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. 
Welcome back to New Reflections. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein, board-certified plastic surgeon, and I'm joined by two board-certified colleagues. We have Dr. Leo McCafferty and Dr. Mark Codner. We're just speaking with Dr. Codner about his philosophy in rhinoplasty. Let's talk about your approach. Uh, Are you someone who prefers doing everything in the nose, the closed approach, or do you also perform open rhinoplasty? Well, I prefer both approaches in my practice, and it really depends on what our our goal is. So we talked a little bit about global philosophy. Now let's bring it down to the individual patient. And so for your listeners, we we tell the patient, we're going to talk about your nose in terms of thirds, top third, middle third, and bottom third. And the top third, if you feel, that's the bone, and that's the bridge of the nose. It doesn't move back and forth. And the middle third is the septum, and it will move. And where the cartilage meets the bone is actually a joint, and that's why in certain ethnic populations, the the dorsum or the bridge of the nose gets larger with age. Then the bottom third is the tip. And like you, if I want to affect a significant change in the tip, that will be my indication to perform an open rhinoplasty. So I would say in my particular practice, I perform open rhinoplasty in 70 to 80% of patients. Now, I do want to make one comment. I know you discussed this earlier. Open rhinoplasty is a very small incision at the portion of your nose above your lip and just between your nostrils. So the listeners can reach up and touch underneath their nose. The narrowest portion between the two nostrils is where a tiny incision, maybe a quarter of an inch or less, stair steps across the nose. In my experience in 20 years of practice, I have never seen or even heard from a colleague where that scar has been a problem where it required revision. So unlike open gallbladder surgery, for example, or open knee surgery, where patients think about a very long scar and there are clear advantages to doing a closed approach. In rhinoplasty, the difference is not significant. However... Yeah, I, would, I would have to agree that the, that little incision is negligible. It's not something anyone ever worries about. I can't say I've ever had a patient come back and complain about the appearance. In fact, uh, the opposite, actually. I've had patients come back a year, two, three years later from their rhinoplasty, and it's hard to find the scar. Yes. Uh, have you, Dr. Rubenstein or Dr. McCafferty, ever had to revise that scar? I never have, and I, I would agree 100% with both of you. I think that that's, uh, that scar is really negligible, and it's really, it's really the, 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 even the, the terminology open rhinoplasty is, is, is almost a little silly because it's just another way to uh, approach, the, approach the nose. So, um, in a sense... Um, I would agree with you, Mark and, and Adam, that that that, uh, that incision is really negligible, and it's just another approach. Yeah. So again, I think the take-home message for people listening is that it's more important you choose your surgeon based upon the, your comfort level, your trust, your the results that you feel he or she can achieve, and and of course, uh, assuming that they're properly trained and have good experience, and really don't get hung up on having to have a particular technique or a particular type of operation. We've talked before on this, uh, on this show about certain marketed names for procedures that may not be all they're cracked up to be. And particularly, we did a, a two-part episode on the lifestyle lift. And you know, there are similar things that you'll see sometimes marketed with rhinoplasty that may, may sound sexy by name or it seems like a great idea. But at the end of the day, the technique is chosen, as Dr. Codner is really trying to drive home, the technique is chosen by your surgeon based upon your anatomy and what you're looking to achieve. And the same surgeon may do 
completely different operations on two different patients and still both be a rhinoplasty. Now, Dr. Kotner, uh, recovery. We were talking a little bit with Dr. McCafferty. What do you tell your patients for recovery? What can they expect? Well, recovery is also improved. The recovery actually starts before the operation, and recovery starts with a regimen of uh, vitamin C, arnica, um, bromelain, other uh, homeopathic um, therapies that begin two weeks before, as well as having patients stop taking Motrin, aspirin, Advil, vitamin E. Then it's very important that if patients smoke, that they stop smoking because smoking can impact the, the recovery process. Once the procedure is done, we want to make sure we keep our patient's blood pressure under, under good control because that will also decrease the amount of bruising. And I think the, the main point with recovery is if the, the bridge of the nose is narrowed, uh, that bone will be narrowed and moved in, and tiny little splinters, uh, perforations, almost like when you, you, you tear a stamp, the bone is actually perforated and narrowed to narrow the bridge of the nose, and that can result in black eyes if some of these uh, treatments are not done. So we like to, to do everything we can to minimize the bruising and swelling. The other thing that's changed is traditionally packing was always used. I haven't used packing in over 10 years. The patients don't like it. I don't like it. And having no packing inside the nose is a tremendous aid to the patient. Um, we do use a small across the nose to protect the nose as well as to hold the shape, and that comes off anywhere from five to seven days, as well as the tiny little sutures underneath the, the nostril like we talked about. And at that point, the patient and the family members will be able to see a significant difference um, in the shape of the nose. It, it sometimes it's a very, very emotionally satisfying, exciting uh, experience. Yeah, I, I would agree that that first unveiling the moment, and that's true with a lot of operations. I, I see it with any procedure where there's a significant change or the, for the first time they're seeing the new you, if you will. That is a pretty emotionally charged moment, and it's it's gratifying. It's nice as a surgeon to share that with patients. One of the one of the best parts of our job, I think. And depending upon the swelling at that point, we may or may not put a couple of little flesh-colored tapes on the bridge of the nose. Not so much that that's going to make a difference, but it's going to be a reminder to the patient as well as anyone around the patient uh, is a kind of a caution, you know, keep off the grass. And the <laughs> other thing is, obviously, you don't want a patient to go back into, into competitive sports where they could re-injure their nose, but there's some subtle things that we often don't think about, such as wearing glasses or sunglasses. Sure. I tell patients to avoid any uh, bridge of the glass that has the little uh, foot plates that can squeeze the bridge of the nose. I would rather them wear a oh, just a general plastic type of a sunglass that doesn't have the little feet or if need be even tape the, the center of the glass uh, to the forehead if they need to, to use their reading glasses, say if they're students and they've got exams coming up. Yeah, and I think that my patients that have uh, that wear glasses or really can't see without them, uh, what I usually do is leave the splint on there, not because I think it is helping to shape anything, but really just to protect the bones so that they can, rather than resting their glasses on the bridge of the nose, it gets to sit on top of that thin little plastic splint, and that splint disperses the force so it doesn't pinch on the nose. I agree completely as far as that goes. Cost. What does it cost in your practice, Dr. Codner, on average? I, obviously, there's a range. But on average, what does it cost to have a rhinoplasty? Uh, in part, the cost depends on what you're doing externally as well as internally. Uh, if there are functional breathing problems, 
Uh, generally, that portion of the procedure is covered by insurance as well as that portion of the anesthesia. Uh, the medical term for that is septoplasty or turbinectomy. But the cosmetic portion of the procedure, as well as I always advocate doing it uh, in a surgery center or a hospital with a board-certified anesthesiologist, patient safety is something that's extremely important. This is not something that should be done without an anesthesiologist, in my opinion, or uh, should be done in a, you know, in a casual setting, uh, such as an office that's not certified. Uh, however, having said that, all of the expenses for the operating room, the surgery, and the anesthesia sh- should come in well below $10,000. I think that if any patient is given a quote over $10,000, they really need to get a second opinion and reevaluate because someone may be taking advantage of them. I'd agree. Uh, well, let's get into some of the uh, the general topics here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the other things that surround nose surgery. And before I do, let me just give out the number. If anyone would like to call, please call. And, uh, you're welcome to ask questions live on the air with our experts we have here today. The phone number is 866-472-5792. Now, getting into uh, some of the Interesting things about rhinoplasty. A lot of patients come in and they want imaging. What do you think about imaging? You know, the idea that they come in, they say, well, doc, what, is, what am I going to look like? And then we take pictures of them and manipulate it and say, well, this is about what you might look like after surgery. What are your thoughts on that, Dr. McCafferty? Well, I certainly think it's a reasonable question. You know, this is a big, uh, this is a big step for most patients. They, they have always disliked their nose, and now they've taken that step. And I do use imaging. Um, we, uh, uh, we have to caution them that, you know, the image is what we're shooting for, what we're going for. This should give them an idea about uh, what they should expect. But what we can't control necessarily is the, is the healing process. I can tell you that um, I've been imaging probably for about uh, 15 years, and uh, I've not had any, any patients that have... Uh, they have all found it helpful, and I've not had any patients uh, that have, uh, in a sense, uh, wanted to compare the image to their post-operative photos. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's important. That's really important because it's not a guarantee. It's not right. something that, that you're going to say, this is what you're going to look like. No, this is, I think you're, you're saying it exactly right. It, it, it's really a direction that you're going to go. When I do it, and I do it rarely, really just by patient request, I do it because I want to make sure that we're on the same page, the patient and and myself, and make sure that we're thinking about the same kinds of changes to the nose and not really looking for an end result. Uh, Dr. Codner, your thoughts? Well, I've used imaging for over 15 years, and I've also um, recently gone more to a handheld computerized pad with before and afters uh, with a large selection to find a patient's before and after that uh, that suits the, the individual patient in the office. Imaging is a two-edged sword. I would say its best use is in the side view only uh, for rhinoplasty, and I don't think the front view is quite as, as um, accurate. But the other thing with respect to imaging, it becomes very important. We haven't talked about uh, chin implants, and it's very important to consider the chin anytime you consider a patient who's interested in rhinoplasty because the chin and the nose are in balance and they really dictate the artistic beauty of the profile. And so imaging can be very important not only to show what the side view of a nose can look like but also what a chin could look like with a small chin implant because often a patient will come and feel that their nose is is too large. However, in fact, their chin may be too small and the balance between the two is what we really need to focus on. 
And that's a great point. I mean, I'm very conservative. I'm the last person to suggest a procedure to someone. In fact, I, I won't play the doc, what would you do to me game when patients want to do that. But the one procedure that I will recommend for someone that might not have been in their mind when they came to the office is a chin implant because it's exactly the reasons you're citing. When you look at a profile, there is that balance between the nose, the lips, and the chin, and frequently putting in even a small chin implant can bring a lot of facial harmony to the patient that wouldn't be gotten just by doing nose surgery. We are going to take a short... I would, I would just add one, one the, also the little double chin, the little submental, the little fat pad under the neck is, is something also I'll analyze in addition to the chin. Um, yeah, that's a good point. It, it all comes into play a lot of times just uh, light, lightening that up will give the look of having a, a more prominent chin and a stronger chin to bring the face into balance. It all, it all plays a role. We're going to take a brief break now. When we come back, we'll be talking more about rhinoplasty with Drs. Codner and McCafferty. Here on New Reflections. Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We've been talking about noses, rhinoplasty, and we're talking with doctors Mark Codner and Leo McCafferty, both board-certified plastic surgeons. We just went over uh, each person's 
philosophy and the typical approaches they have, costs and recovery. Let's talk a little bit about some of the, the other things that have to do with nose surgery, some of the interesting stuff. Now, these operations don't always go perfectly well. In fact, I've heard it said that worldwide there's as high as a 30 or 33% revision rate. Now, I think that's probably overestimated, but revisions are not uncommon with noses because the healing process is unpredictable. And the nose, frequently, if you have a patient with thin skin, a tiny amount of scar tissue will make a visible bump that could not have been anticipated. So let's talk a little bit about revisions. In your practices, what's the most common reason you see someone coming for a revision, whether it's your own original rhinoplasty or someone coming from somewhere else? What's the main reason you guys are seeing uh, people coming looking to redo their nose? Dr. Codner? The most common area is typically the supratip area. So it's not exactly the tip of the nose, but above the tip of the nose, there's an, uh, a concavity called a supratip break. And that really is what gives the nose a very sculpted, uh, refined appearance. And in my experience, that is an area where scar tissue can build up internally uh, that we often don't have control over, where we might need to go in and refine that to give that shape back. So what I'll see is patients that, that love their shape of their nose, and then three, six months later, as scar tissue changes, if they're no longer as happy with it because scar tissue buildup, will go in to refine the tip. Having said that, when you do refine the tip of the nose, which I believe is the most common area uh, that may require revision, it's not like having the entire procedure done again. Uh, often the patient can be uh, under a twilight or with local anesthesia. The recovery process is, is significantly reduced. And so it's not a setback where the patient feels like they have to do their entire nose a second time. Yeah, and I think that area, in, in my experience, is probably the most problematic area for patients where they get a, a, a little bit of an unattractive roundness in that area where it really needs to be reduced a little bit, and I, I would agree. Dr. McCafferty, your thoughts? Well, I would agree. You know, it's that tip and super tip area. And, and you know, for, for all of the advances in medicine and in plastic surgery, one thing that we continually strive to do is to control scar, and it, that's to, to me, that's the enemy, and that healing process or the healing tissue or the scar tissue is what's unpredictable. Frequently, I'm amazed that when you go in to do a little revision of the tip or super tip area, just, just, releasing, the, just releasing or freeing the overlying skin from the underlying uh, support almost, uh, almost resolves the, the issue. Um, and usually yeah, you know, sometimes it's just a tiny little correction. It's true. Yeah, uh, and so it, 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 but I would agree with both of you that the, that that's the area. And I tell patients, you know, that we wait a year uh, because uh, as that year goes by, the nose will change, and usually for the better. But if there is a little um, area that needs touch up, uh, I do it, and certainly I don't charge them for it. Well, I think I think that's a, a pretty common policy, and I think it's the right thing to do if, it, if there's a, a small correction. There are some things that have been controversial, some maybe some misconceptions or, or things people wonder about with rhinoplasty. Frequently, you hear about singers. The classic one is Barbara Streisand. You know, she obviously had a prominent nose and never chose to have anything done about it. Now, I don't know if it's because she was extremely or is extremely comfortable with the appearance of her nose and doesn't really care about it, or if uh, perhaps she just had concerns. People often would 
would guess that maybe it would change your voice. And with a voice like Barbara Streisand's, you wouldn't want to do anything that could change the voice. What do you guys think about that? Changing voice with a rhinoplasty? Well, I think there are some well-documented cases where the, the, the pitch and the tonality of a professional singer's voice has been changed uh, with nasal surgery. So I do think it's important, even non-professionals, we've all seen patients that have come in after rhinoplasty with the nasal passage uh, being narrowed to the point where the patient has a nasal tone. So I would think that that is something that absolutely for, for professional singers that they need to be concerned about from a functional standpoint. But I think the point that you raise is just as important from an appearance standpoint. It shows that a, an individual can be beautiful, can be attractive, can be successful with their natural nose, or even if she did have a little bit of work, or if someone else chooses to have a bump reduced but not actually removed, where we should start to really individualize and make our plastic surgery appear natural so that we don't know. So we're not sure. Did she? Didn't she? Absolutely. Did she I mean, that's, that's the, the ideal result, in my opinion, is one where you, where you don't even know something's been done. Now, speaking of knowing something's been done, let's talk about Michael Jackson. He's the classic example of what not to do in choosing to have procedures. And I think he's, uh, Lord knows how many procedures he's had. When did things go wrong for Michael Jackson? What's the problem there, Dr. McCafferty? Well, you know, I, I don't know anything about Michael Jackson's case other than what's been in the, in the media. But I think there's an underlying principle here. Uh, there is... Uh, the rhino, there is a subset of rhinoplasty patients that will strive for project, uh, um, perfection. They are seeing problems that don't exist. And then the danger is that you they find a surgeon that's, uh, that, that may attempt uh, a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. So the, the tail cannot wag the dog, and I think it just... It just uh, emphasizes the, the point that uh, your listeners, the public, uh, patients need to see somebody qualified, need to see a board-certified, uh, preferably plastic surgeon uh, that has experience in this, in this field because uh, I can tell you that, uh, and I'm sure all of you have, uh, have run across this occasional patient, um, it, it can be if you start down the wrong road and you just can't get back. And, uh, oh, yeah. No, it could be miserable. But, you know, the thing is, uh, Michael Jackson, this is a guy that went to well-qualified people and I think just had perhaps ill-advised surgeries. I mean, in my opinion, I, I think he had too many procedures, and it's pretty obvious as a plastic surgeon looking at his face over the years. He started, we were talking about in the beginning of the show, taking out something is, you, know, you can take out too much. You can always go back and take in a little bit more. Better to take out too little than too much. In his case, I think he started losing support. He just had so much reduced and reduced and reduced that he had nothing left. So now you have the difficult task of having to rebuild it. Uh, so I think Michael Jackson's a great example of less is more. You really need to be conservative and do just the minimum necessary to achieve the end result you're looking for. Uh, we just have a, a little bit of time left, and uh, let's talk a quickly about liquid rhinoplasty, injections. Dr. Codner, you've been using any injections to refine rhinoplasty? Yes, I wouldn't use injections as a substitute for rhinoplasty. However, I have used some of the fillers, the hyaluronic acid fillers and others that are currently on the market, really for wrinkle reduction or for lip augmentation, 
they work quite well to uh, correct a small indentation uh, on the nose that might otherwise have required surgery. Uh, they typically last uh, a year or longer. I've actually been impressed with the amount of time that they've lasted. In fact, some have, have lasted well over a year. But I think this is a very nice adjunct to avoiding reoperation or correcting a very small irregularity that doesn't really need surgery that can be con co corrected with an injection. Having said that, um, I really don't like the term liquid rhinoplasty. I would not ever imply that you can do injections to uh, substitute um, for rhinoplasty with respect to the final result. Yeah, I no, I agree. And against permanent injections anywhere in the face, such as uh, liquid silicone or, or other permanent injections, I think you have to be extremely careful. The nice thing about some of these hyaluronic acid fillers is that they are reversible. There's an antidote that you can inject in the event the patient doesn't like it. Tell them, come on in. We'll give you an injection. It'll be gone tomorrow. You'll be back to where you were. Yeah, it's true. The permanents are dangerous. We talked about that at the beginning of the show. You know, the history of rhinoplasty included things like paraffin and silicone injections. But these days, using anything permanent in the face, particularly in the nose, can be very problematic and even dangerous for your health. And I agree, liquid rhinoplasty is not something that we should uh, encourage in the term or the practice. I don't think that you can ever, the same thing is true with facelifts, by the way. They'll talk about liquid facelifts, which is really disingenuous. You can't get a facelift. You can't get a true rhinoplasty with injections. You can make aesthetic improvements. Now, I want to thank you both for coming to the show. Uh, this has been New Reflections, talking about rhinoplasty with Dr. Leo McCafferty and Dr. Mark Codner. We've had a great show. Thanks for coming on the show. We'll be back next week with a new topic. Next week, we're discussing buttock augmentation. It's bringing up the rear, butt augmentation, next week on New Reflections. Join us then. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.